What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 136 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. Today is going to be a great episode. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and you are in for a treat today. I know you're like me. You're trying to be the very best leader you can be in the space and the place that God's put you, and you're always looking for something new to add to your arsenal. Well, today is a leader that you aren't going to soon forget. You may not know him. If you're in the academic world, the educational world, you probably know Dr. Roger Parrott, but you may not if you're not in that world. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to know him now. He's written a new book called Opportunity Leadership. And we had such a blast sitting down and talking. He has entered college presidency at the age of 34 and has been in that world, in that academic world, for years, and actually has been at Bellhaven University in Mississippi since 1995, and prior to that was with Sterling College as a president from 89 to 95. But his new book, Opportunity Leadership, looking at how God's hand is working, God's hand is moving, and then getting in on what God is doing, I'm telling you, you are never going to think about leadership the same way. It was one of the most fun interviews I've done in a long time. But even more than that, I couldn't put the book down when I was reading it. And so the book is fresh. It's new. And I'm going to tell you, you are going to love Dr. Parrott. So I don't know where you are today, but I hope you carve out some time to listen, some time to write, some time to think, because this is one that that is going to be one for the books. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with the author of Opportunity Leadership, the president of Bellhaven University, and just a great, great guy, Dr. Roger Parrott. Can't wait for you to listen in. Well, Dr. Parrott, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. It's a treat to be with you. I tell you, you you, uh, you bring in some pretty high-powered leaders, so to include me in that group, I'm really, I'm really honored. Thank you so much. Well, I'll add you to the list of people that feel sorry for me, so that's good. I'm glad to put you in the <laughs> list of guys that go, you know, we got we to do some goodwill sometime in our journey, so that they jump on here and do goodwill with me. So walk me back a little bit in your journey. Did you ever dream you would be a college president? Did you see that in your pathway when you were growing up? You know, I really didn't. I mean, it's kind of strange because I am a third generation college president. So my father and my grandfather were in the job and we were watching one time a a show about coal miners and this coal miner said, yeah, I'm a 
coal miner because my father and my grandfather were doing it. And, and my wife said, wouldn't that be terrible? And I said, hey, look, look at me. That's what I do. <laughs> but I did not expect to. I really didn't. Um, I mean, I went into college arena and I liked it. But, um, you know, I, I did some work with the Lausanne Committee for World Evangelization. We raised a bunch of money for big Congress in 89. Left that and thought, yeah, I'll do the college president thing because that's kind of what was expected. And we applied to several different colleges, got turned down by everybody, left mm. and right. I remember we went and looked at a little beat-up school, and I thought, well, they for sure got to take us and got a rejection. And my wife and I, I'll never forget the night we went out for a walk, and we said, look, if this isn't what God wants us to do, let's just give it up. And we literally walked away from it. We washed our hands of it. We said, we're not going to do this. We're going to go to Phoenix, Arizona and plant a church. And within two weeks, I had interviews for two college presidencies. And it went from there. So, yeah, 33 years in the chair. And I love it. It's the best job in the world. You know, you get to work with these energetic young people. You get these really smart faculty. Uh, you get to run your own little city on a campus. And you own your own football team. So it doesn't get much better. <laughs> so what as you as you've sat in that seat all the years what's been the big and you think back to that crisis of belief where you and your wife stood on that sidewalk going well I guess God's closing that door we're going to walk a different direction what do you think God wanted you to learn through that to get get to get you where you are today that that's not a wasted experience no, why do you think yeah. it took that crossroad and you didn't just get the first one you applied to it was to let go of our plan. It really was. And then it kind of circles around back to what I've been talking about recently in my life about planning, but it really did start. And, and I hadn't thought about it that way till you bring it up. But that really was the beginning of letting go of the plan. Cause then we had it planned out perfectly where life was going to go, what we were going to do, what was the next step, the whole thing. But you know, life doesn't work that way. That's right. And, right. Um, and so I think until we let go of, we can probably get what we think we want, but it's less than God's best mm. and when you let go then god's best can come through and that's when life gets really fun isn't it funny how i was on a call with a bunch of men this morning isn't it funny how we think if we could get our plan in in the moment it always seems like the best one but yeah. later on in the rearview mirror we look back and go man we'd have really shortchanged ourselves it's you know? amazing how often it happens. And that, and that's why I've been focused on this, this whole idea of leading without a plan, because <clears throat> what we think is the best is pale. It's mm -hmm. nothing in comparison to God's best, but we are so focused on our plan and we feel such ownership of it. And we, we think we've got the wisdom of the Lord in it and all this stuff. And, and it really is often pretty mediocre compared to what God really could do if we'll get out of the way and let the creator of the universe take charge. And so, uh, uh, but, but it's hard to do. It's real hard to let go. <laughs> it, it really <laughs> is. Be in charge. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. And it never gets easier, you know? So no. I, I wanted to be in charge when I was in my twenties. And now that I'm in my fifties, I feel like I have more authority to be in charge now. <laughs> yep. And, and, and we, and we never are. So where did the faith journey for you? Cause faith is such a critical piece of your story and your life and what we're going to talk about today. How did the whole faith journey begin for you and become real for you? Well, you know, I grew up in a parsonage with a pastor, and I remember I remember kneeling at an altar when I was six years old, and it's still a fresh memory. Uh, and so always was part of the church and understood the the uh 
the love of God in my life. And uh, that developed probably in a much more serious faith during college years when I started to really examine it and ask harder questions and let it grow and develop. And then and then spent a lot of time uh, in, in ministry leadership in the broader church. So I learned a lot of different perspectives from across the denominational differences, geographic differences around the world. And I saw that that commonality we have in Christ, those things that matter the very most. We get so hung up, especially the American church, on things that are on the fringes. Yeah. Let's get to what matters the very most, and let's let's cherish that, and let's build our faith into that. So I think my faith probably gets simpler as the years go by, mm. and it's more uh, just love of God, belief, and absolute trust in the sovereignty of God and realize that we're absolutely nothing without him. And I think it just gets simpler and simpler. We work so hard to try to get it right. I wonder if we're working too hard at trying to get it right and not just living in who Christ made us to be. You know, I have a thought, Dr. Parrott, that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to get there and, and, and all these people that have come to know Christ, they're going to go on. And then there's going to be a separate classroom for pastors that have made it too complicated that God's <laughs> going to sit us down and say, now listen, you screwed like this thing up and you've held <laughs> yeah. these people up for years. So I've got to, I'm going to set you over here to the side, you know? Yeah. Golly. Yeah. I think you're, so right, yeah. You, you, yeah. you're so right though. Yeah. You're so yeah, right. And you read, you be, read back through history and you watch the Christian faith through the last 2000 years. Nobody ever, hardly ever got it right. It's amazing, but God loves us anyways. That's right. And it's not, you know, I, I probably, you know, give to my students over and over again, Yancey's great quote that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Yeah. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. Amen. And if I can help students understand that, and if I can live that easier to preach than live, but uh, uh, if I can live that, that's really what our faith needs to be. You know, I just from reading your book, I can tell you're a student of leadership. You love leader. You don't just sit in a seat of positional leader. You love leadership. What do you think? And this is a big heart of our podcast and spiritual leadership. What do you think is the biggest difference between just pure leadership and someone who says, I want to be a spiritual leader? What do you think is the biggest difference between those? Service, service. It's not about me. It's about how can I help them? You know, I've never found an employee in an organization that could not be motivated if you match them up with their calling. Everybody's got a calling. It's not just people in the corner office who are the CEOs that have a calling. Uh, everybody's got a calling. And if you match people up to their calling and you help them see where they fit in the bigger calling of what you're trying to do, then people are easily motivated and you don't have to push and prod and do all the kind of stuff we try to do organizationally. And I had an experience a few years ago. It was one of my favorite moments. I was coming across campus and, um, a couple of our maintenance guys clearly were working on a water leak. So they dug a hole probably four feet deep. They were down in the mud, water up to their ankle boots, trying to fix this leak. So I'm coming over as the thoughtful college president. And I tiptoe up to the edge, trying to get not get mud on my wingtips, you know. And, and I look over the edge. I said, guys, what are you doing? And, and they said, we're educating students for Christ. And I said, thought to myself, yeah, that's it. 
That's exactly it. They have a unique gift to keep this campus going by fixing pipes, and they're doing it for the bigger goal of educating students for Christ. To me, that's what leadership is. And if I can get out of the way and let those guys do what they do, and if I can get out of the way and let a history faculty member or a football coach or a baseball coach do what they do and give them the tools they need to be effective, then, you know, it all takes off. And that's what I love about it. And uh, it's when our ego gets in the way that things turn into a huge mess in a hurry. In this new book, Opportunity Leadership, and I told you this before we went on, I believe that you put words to something so many leaders have felt, but they didn't know how to quantify. They've left Mm -hmm. a strategic planning meeting and they're like... I know there's more than this. I know there's more. I've seen God do more. Unpack, give us an overview in your words of what true opportunity leadership looks like. And then we'll be we'll begin to unpack it a little yeah. bit over these next yeah. few minutes. Yeah, and thank you for that because it is resonating with so many leaders who are telling me as I talk about it, yeah, the great things of my life. I didn't plan. They were opportunities. God brought them and and that they did not have the words for it. And hopefully, and when I wrote the book, I did not write it on purpose as a theoretical model of leadership. It's a very practical model of leadership, of course, but but it is a model of leadership and and it's not i don't call it a new model of leadership i call it a fresh model because it's a biblical model of leadership um but you know i was a traditional planner i've done the whole thing i've done the the blue ribbon committees and i've appointed them and had them work for 18 months and then come out with the brochure with the plans of here's the five or six big things we're going to do and you the the pictures and you got to always put a picture in a brochure of the person most against it because that's how you make sure you can sell it and all like i've done all that stuff. I did it all. And it's empty productivity. And I got so tired of it and frustrated, but but it was expected. So I felt like I had to do it. And the the switch began to flip for me when I shortly after I came to Bellhaven uh, inherited school that that had some troubles. Thankfully, we were excelling so much now. But but in 25 years ago, we had some troubles and um, with the creditors. And uh, one of the issues was over planning. So I called Tom Courts, who was the president of uh, Samford University at that time, who happened to also be chair of the whole accrediting body. And I said, you know, I'm new to the South and uh, I'm not new to the presidency, but I'm new to the South. I need some guidance on this. And I said, could you give me, you know, a little bit of guidance on the over the phone? He said, I'll come see you. He came over to my campus, spent a day with me, brought with his, his vice president for planning at Samford University, one of the wonderful, successful uh, Christian schools of America. And Tom was sitting in my office and he finally said, after a long discussion, he said, you know, the most important things we've ever done at my university, we never planned. They were just opportunities and we captured the moment. And that's when it hit me. There is a different way. There is a better way. And, you know, the bottom line of planning is it doesn't work. We keep going through the motions, but it really doesn't work. And what I mean by opportunity, leadership, and planning is I'm talking about long-range planning, predicting destinations, as I call them. 
So what we don't want to do is predict destinations for where God's going to take us. We do want to plan very well what we have already been given. So we're going to look for opportunities for the future and the destinations, but we're going to plan very well what we do. We know we're going to teach uh, uh, STEM courses. We know we're going to play baseball. We know we're going to feed students in the cafeteria. We plan all that extremely well. What we don't plan is, is where we're going, and people will often ask me, prospective faculty, maybe a TV crew, they'll say, well, well, what do you expect the university to be in 10 years from now? And it's a pretty typical question to ask university president. And my answer is, I don't know. I really don't know. But what I do know is the best plan we could come up with around conference tables and on whiteboards is pale in comparison mm -hmm. to the plan that God has for us. So what we want to do is get out of the way and let God do it with his opportunities that he brings. And we want to be prepared and, and ready to capture those moments when they come. So that's really what opportunity leadership is. And, and of course, you know, I, I did define it in the book. I, I called it opportunity leadership is grounded in waiting and anticipation. And the waiting and anticipation is critical, waiting for God-given opportunities that mesh seamlessly with our mission, gifting, and capacity, propelling us to destinations that are heavenly ordained. So this really, this model is really about trusting God for the future, but honing so well our mission and then matching that up with our gifting and capacity so we know when those opportunities are right and when they aren't right. And that's the guiding principle behind it. And I think, it, so if you were coaching a leader who is, you know, most people listening to this podcast are leaders. I mean, they're people that may be in different levels of leadership, but they're leaders in, in academia or they're leaders in athletics or in government work or in the business sector. And they say, how do I know that it's God that's leading me to do it? How do I, how do I know it's easier for me to plan it and just hope it turns out well than to know this is what, when God is up to something, this is what it looks like. What would you tell yeah. them? I, I think that's such a critical question uh, and really gets to the core of it. And I, and I wrote a chapter in the book called Staying in Your Lane. And the concept is that we're driving along and somebody in the next lane going the same direction we are looks a lot like what we do. And it'd be easy to just drift into that lane. But when we get out of our lane, that's when things don't work well and we don't find God's very best. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a fresh understanding of mission at a much deeper level. I asked 15 really hard questions in the book, and they are really hard, about mission and really what's the vitalness in the mission, not the what, when, where, and, and who. That's what we talk about all the time in, in leadership. We're talking about the why. What's the why for what we do? That's what we want to focus on. And then we're going to match that with our, our, our gifting and capacity. And so you've got to have the right culture. And so a lot of the book is dedicated to how do you build this culture that you can do this? Cause if you do it straight up, you're going to get fired. No. Uh, you've got <laughs> to build right. a culture around it. That's I mean, right. That's going to happen. That's predictable. That is going to happen. So you've got to build a culture around it. You've got to bring people on board. Set. But you build a gifting among the people. I mean, my folks key, the folks that I lean on are all generalists. They're, they're not specialists. I want people who can flex and change and, and they know I can walk into their office most any day and say, I want you to take on a new, project and they're going a whole new direction and uh so what's our gifting that we can do it and then what's our capacity what do we have the ability to do and sometimes there are times we're just stretched to the limit and that means god's not got something new for us 
but you know, sometimes there are opportunities. So, you know, what I find is that God's wind blows very gently Mm -hmm. and it's a matter of being sensitive to that wind at the right moment so you can capture those opportunities. And so if you don't understand your mission, the whole model doesn't work because if you're just going out to what's showy or what's, what's the latest a glitzy thing or what moves the dial the fastest or farthest that makes people ooh and ah, uh, this isn't going to work. What it does do is when you really do let go of this iron grip on planning, it just frees up God to work in your life and ministry like you'd never imagined possible. How do you build margin in your life as a leader? Because your schedule's full. You not only are you writing, but you're leading a university with all the components and facets of that, leading a family. How do you build in margin so you can see and hear from the Lord as a leader? Well, for one thing, I don't have planning meetings. So that takes a lot of time. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. We we had a we had a weather incident here in town this morning, and there's three private colleges, and we're all texting back and forth, and and we just made a decision we closed down. And I got one from another one. Well, we have a we have a cabinet meeting soon to decide. I felt like, well, the storm's going to be here before you get done with your meeting. You better hurry up, you know. Uh, but so I don't plan. Um, I. I trust people. I delegate as much as I can. One of my desires as a, as the president of the university is I don't do anything somebody else could do. Hmm. So if somebody else could do it, then I don't do it. That, that, now, that doesn't mean they do it as well always. I, I often, my, my wife will tease me sometimes. She said, well, why would you let them do that? You could have done it so much better. I said, well, a couple of reasons. First is I'll never learn to do it if I don't give them a chance. Mm -hmm. And secondly, somebody gave me a chance when I was in my 30s to do it, and I fumbled it around too. So, you know, but so if it's really critical, yeah, I'm going to keep my hands pretty tight on it. And I I know everything that's going on. There's nothing that goes on I don't know about. But I'm not trying to operate the place daily. Um, And then I build in margin on purpose i block either days or half days or or i I work in about three week schedules and and i don't have meetings that don't matter and so i have very few meetings um i'm more bouncing around on the phone or on email or doing my own thing uh rather than just going from one meeting to the next when i hear these presidents and they say well you know i've got one meeting on top of another all day long i feel like say how how are you ever going to think how are you ever going to see what god's doing if you're just going from one meeting to the next and they're not productive um you know uh, you know we can we we can make a lot of big decisions so i think that's one of the fallacies of planning we think it takes a lot of time it really doesn't you can make decisions pretty fast if you know people you trust people you got a yeah. rapport with them you can do stand-up meetings and go fast um yeah. but on your i mean i block uh, i'm home for dinner every night uh with my family uh i don't go to a lot of stuff i don't have to uh, I always tell university presidents, first thing you got to learn is university presidents, where's the back door to the gym? Show up for the first half, be real visible, and then when they tip off for the second half, go out the back door. Yeah. So <laughs> showing true. up is important at times. Showing up matters, and I get that. And so I do that, but I don't do it without a purpose. I think everybody hears this and goes, I get it. I love this. Why are leaders scared of it though? Because I think it is scary. Why it's do you think scary. it's scary? Why do you think yeah. it scares leaders so much? 
I think it scares leaders, first of all, because our boards expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of wrote, I, I wanted to show the, the, the kind of the uh, radicalness of this. And I didn't know how to do that in the book. So I wrote, a, it's the only fictitious scenario in the book. Everything else was an absolute event of what happened. But I wrote this fictitious scenario about this CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And he's going to the annual meeting in New York and all the stockholders are there and the press is there and the whole thing. And he get, they're expecting the plans for the coming year. And then they, you know, every year the plans are out, the plans never measure up, but they're all excited about the new plan and where we're going to go and what we're going to do. Of course, they never report on the last one, and all that kind of stuff. So he gets up and he says, you know, we're going to do things differently. I've never been more excited about our future. We're going to just trust God for whatever he gives to us. And we're not going to have a plan. We may have more customers. We may have fewer. We may have new products. We may cut some. We may go into new territories. We may not. We're just going to trust God for whatever that is. And God's plan is better than our plan. And then I write that within minutes of the first tweet going out the stock goes in the tank the senior leadership quits before the end of the day and the president's fired uh, before nightfall and that's what will happen and i think we're scared to death as a leader what do i do if i don't lead the planning what 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 where's my value added here and so we expect that we are supposed to do this thing called leadership that's built around this antiquated planning model we know doesn't work and fills up a whole bunch of time for a whole bunch of people but we think the board expects it because of their businesses they do planning uh donors expect it because why would anybody give if i don't give a vision uh it's how i keep control of things that are going on uh it's how i show that i'm deliberative that i take all this time to make these decisions um it's uh it's uh you know there's this whole idea of well if i can't measure it it's not any good so we got to put up measurements for everything well you know in your world and in mine, the things that matter most, you can't measure. That's right. I can measure enrollment I can measure money, but I can't measure transformation in somebody's life. I can't measure a, a faculty member who sat with a student for two hours and, and helped them understand a Christian worldview in a way they'd never seen it before, or a baseball player who found the Lord during batting practice because somebody cared about him because his, because mm-hmm. his grandmother died. I, I can't measure that stuff. The stuff that matters most, I can't measure. And so, you know, helping to let go of that, but it's hard and it's scary. And the only way you can do it is to prove that it'll work. Mm. If you don't prove it'll work, you never let go of this really albatross of planning that's holding us back from so much. You know, and we even go back to our roots and in our faith, it all begins with surrender and surrender scary because we're surrendering to something we can't see and to a place we don't know into the hands of somebody that we're just learning to trust and leader. I think somewhere along the way though, we think, well, that's my Christian surrender, but I, I don't surrender my leadership, but real true spiritual leadership is a surrender to what God has for us. So well said, absolutely. So well said, and it is hard to do mm-hmm. leading without a plan is the plan. Yeah. And people don't really believe that when you get to this point, you know, when I first started with this, I would tell people we're going to do this. We believe in God's sovereignty. God has got the owns this university. God's got the best for us. We're going to trust. And they all say, amen. That's great. Wonderful. And they pull me inside and they say, yeah, but, but what's the real plan if that doesn't work? And, you know, there is no plan B. This is the plan to completely trust God for that future. And it creates, it demands a theology of trust mm-hmm. at the core of our leadership.
If we don't have a complete theology of trust that so fills us, then this stuff doesn't work at all. But in if we don't trust God for that, where's our faith really holding up? I mean, what's the deal? This, this is what we preach. Let's live it. And it, sometimes it means really great things happen. And sometimes it can be really scary things that happen. I've, I've got uh, uh, an opportunity that we captured a few years ago to work in China. Uh, we had the a Christian MBA in China, if you can believe it, from a Christian college to serve MBA students in China. And then things have changed uh, in the last little bit. And all of a sudden, some of that stuff's going away. And I got to trust God as much for his no as I do for his yes. Mm -hmm. And God's got a plan. Just It's not just he keep heaping on good stuff. Sometimes it's pruning as well. And in that is just the joy of leadership. And so what I found is that this is the single best decision I've ever made is to let go of planning and trust God for that future. And I really don't worry about it. I really don't. And even when the money's tight and there've been times the money's really tight, I really don't worry about it. I don't worry about what's next. Sometimes I've sat in my office at the beginning of a semester and I've wondered, I wonder what we're going to do this fall. That's new. And I didn't have anything. And within six weeks, the agenda's jam packed. It's, it's really, <laughs> fascinating way to lead and to really be in the spirit of what God wants to do in our lives. And it really works seamlessly. And we talked about it a little bit earlier before we went on with, with what Blackaby says, you know, God is working all the time and our job is to get in on what he's doing. It's never a lack of him working. It's a, it's a lack of us seeing, and yeah. you did such a great job. So two things, one in the book, you do a great job saying, okay, here's what bell. Here's what God's done there. And it's unbelievable. I and mean, you would think it was a master strategic plan to get you where you are. So I love <laughs> that you did that, but your first analogy of sailboats and powerboats. Yeah. It was such a great visual. When when you think about a sailboat, what does sailing require from a leader that's different than if you were operating a powerboat? What would you say? Yeah. It's a totally different thing. It's it's apples and oranges. Now both are boats and both are in the water and both go a direction. But a poorly built Worn out sailboat will outdistance a powerboat every time because only a sailboat can catch the wind of God. So a sailboat that goes and catches the wind of God, first of all, it's built on trust. Who do you trust? Do you trust the wind or do you trust the motor? And, you know, Christian ministries have gotten really good at building some really impressive powerboats that go really fast and go and ignore the wind completely because they can they don't have to have the wind because they got so much going on in their own engine and so it begins with a trust it's about a focus i think a sailboat is about listening to the to watching the wind listening to the wind listening to how the boat interacts with the wind it's looking up at the vastness of the sky a powerboat uh, you know, when I'm in my powerboat, all I hear is the motor and I'm focused down at the controls and that's about it. It's very mm -hmm. inward. It's about preparation, uh, a sailboat. Um, I looked several years ago, whether you get a powerboat or a sailboat and uh, decided I didn't want to do the work of being a sailor in a sailboat. It's all <laughs> preparation. You're always getting ready. They're, every sailor I know is working on their boat. They're yep. very rarely in the water, but that's why it can go so far when it does get in the water. And so it's a about a level of preparation where with a powerboat, you just get in and go. Uh, it's about control, back what we talked about. You know, uh, 
powerboats, I mean, sailboats require, especially, if, uh, you know, elite racing, you watch those teams and they're well orchestrated and they work together and they move quickly and they adapt to the whole thing where uh, a powerboat is one guy at the motor mm-hmm. uh, and just, and just pressing it forward. It's about direction, limitless endurance versus how much you can get out of a tank of gas. It's about relationships. I mean, you know, I sometimes go down the coast of Alabama and, and look out and if a sailboat comes along out in the water, everybody who's walking the beach stops and looks at the sailboat. Nobody stops and looks at a powerboat, the cigarette boat that's going by and the motor's so loud and everybody just can't wait for it to get out of the way. And it's really about demands. Um, mm. You know, this, the, there's a tendency to say, well, I'm going to trust God for the future. And so I don't have anything to do. That's not true at all. Um, we're trusting God for the future. To be a real sailor takes hard work in a sailboat. In a powerboat, it really doesn't take hard work. So, yeah, we can run our systems of our planning structures and our committees and our subcommittees and our reporting back and our all that stuff. But but it, that's really pretty easy compared to being adaptive to when God's wind blows and go with it. You, you made a statement and, and you said capture opportunities rather than predicting destinations. Why is it so gratifying the work went in, waiting on the wind, right? There's seasons that mm-hmm. we're sitting where the mm-hmm. wind's not blowing. But when we capture those opportunities, why is it so much more fulfilling than just predicting a destination that we don't even know or think we may or may not ever get to? Why, yeah. why do we know that we're, we're operating in God's best? Because when it happens, I go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I never could have done this. I couldn't have made this happen. Nobody could have made this happen. And it just puts you into such a complete dependency on God and gratitude for God for his goodness. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean every opportunity he brings us is a bed of roses. Um, we got lots of opportunities that are, that are challenges, and, and sometimes they work, and sometimes we we stop. And mm. church isn't very good at stopping stuff. That's a, that's a whole other yep. problem we've got. Um, but, uh, you know, there's just a fulfillment of joy in opportunity leadership that that really should be what leaders experience even in tough times there's a joy of dependency that i just love i just absolutely love and i've become so addicted to it i couldn't do it the other way you know what if if we project our destinations we project minimal results compared to what god would do and i and we've proven that over and over and over again i've got a board of trustees meeting on friday this week and we're going to do that exercise again that i did in the book and um, and to show them again how it works because in the book just to quickly summarize we i, I went to the board um, several years ago about eight years ago now and i said you know they knew we didn't do planning they knew we didn't have a long-range plan they knew we didn't predict destinations i took in a piece of paper that said five-year plan and uh, uh, goal one was to increase enrollment 43%. And goal two was to raise $21 million, which is with a lot of dough for us. And goal three was to build 30 some million dollars worth of facilities. And goal four was seven new undergraduate programs, including nursing. And uh, goal five was, uh, was eight new graduate programs. And, and I said to the board, they figured out what I was doing. Finally, the older ones who'd been around a while figured out that wasn't the plan for the next five years. That was what we actually did the mm-hmm. last five years. Mm-hmm. Now, if five years before, I would have taken those set, that same document to them and said, okay, here's the plan, 43% enrollment. They'd say, how about we make that 20? 
and raise $21 million. How about we make that 10? We'd all cut that back. We all would. And we probably still wouldn't hit it because it's just within what we can generate. Instead, we got out of the way. We let God do it. And incredible things happen. And the list I'm putting together for him on this Friday is just as amazing as that list six years later from when we did it that time. I don't know what it'll be the next six years after this one, but it's fun to find out. <laughs> you, you, you talked about this earlier. You talked about your theology, your spiritual theology. And, and you said opportunity leadership demands a complete unwavering dependency on the sovereignty of God. Why, why is it that we wouldn't do that? Why, why is it that we wouldn't depend on a sovereign God? Why do you think we would choose as a leader to try to do it another way? I think we bought into the idea that, yes, God's sovereign and his sovereignty was to pick me. And I have certain gifts, gifts and abilities, which are unique and, and special. And, and I've studied Harvard Business Review and I'm able to articulate something. And I have all this stuff. And so that's the sovereignty of God is to put me in that role. Now I need to make things happen mm. for him. Mm. And, and I think this is just going another step. I'm not asking people to give up what you learned from our business review. I study it all the time. I'm not asking you to get rid of that. But at the end of the day, either God's sovereign or he's not. And if God really is sovereign, he's sovereign over the, the challenges and the opportunities that are going to come to our ministry or our business or whatever it may be. And we've got to trust him for that and let go of this iron grip enough to give him some room to work. Now, I don't think anybody's going to do it perfectly. I mean, it took me 20 years to get here. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to take some time, but just begin, let up a little bit, let go of the grip a little bit. And uh, I think one of my favorite endorsements of the book was from Jim. Morgan, who was president of Krispy Kreme and turned that business around so dramatically. And he, he wrote about the book. He said, this is exactly what we did. This yep. is how we did it. And so, you know, this works, whether it's business, a church, a university, uh, a school, a ministry, uh, uh, even in the family. I mean, we all got plans for yep. our kids. And if we call an iron grip on that, I guarantee you when they get to me, they're going to rebel. That's I guarantee right. it hundred percent every time. Right. Let go, give them a little space. And when you give them a little space, it's amazing what can do. And that holds across the board. So it's, it's this real genuine belief that God is sovereign beyond just appointing us into this role, but he's sovereign about our needs for every day. I was telling my wife this weekend, we were traveling, I was speaking out in Denver and we were just killing some time out there. And I said, you know, you think about your kids, my kids, my daughter got married last year. My son's getting married this summer. And I said, if I had had my way, I would have picked out. I thought I had the best ones picked out for them and I would have sold them both short. <laughs> from God's best. Yeah. I really, my kids would have been so disappointed in who I had picked out, yeah. but I thought at the time it was the best thing, but it's yeah. that sovereignty of God that what he has is always better. Always better. And, and you make it, you make a great statement. We see God's no as a far better than yes to my plan. Yeah. How have you learned to embrace God's no and know that he's protecting you? You, you have to grow into it and you have to really believe it. But I've had, you know, we've had some no's. I mean, one of our great yeses were we, we, uh, we were one of the early adopters to adult education, had campuses all across the Southeast. We had 11 of them, mm -hmm. uh, Atlanta, Chattanooga and Houston and, and Orlando and, and lots of different places. 
But that market changed. And God said, especially when COVID came, we closed the last of them. And that's a big no. And you might say, well, you're a failure. No, we're not. That was a time for that season. And now we got something else for the next season. And that's okay. This is God's got a greater plan that we can see that we, that we can't see that he sees. And we've got to trust him for those no's when they come. And what I found with no's invariably, and I've had a lot of no's where I really want to make something happen. And God said no, and it blocked it. God was protecting me from something mm-hmm. every single time. And I don't think we begin to understand the level of protection that God gives to his people when we do trust him. And we fight against stuff. But, you know, it's just, I mean, you know, you, you're you're much better expositor than I ever could be. But, you know, we preach about how we're a child of God and how we protect our kids even when they don't like it right. because we know they're going to get burned on a hot stove. We're doing the same thing. And we're, we're trying to do our thing and God's protecting us. We don't even realize he is. You talk about in here an upside kingdom leaders, upside down kingdom leadership. You learned it from a book that you read. Why is true kingdom leadership and opportunity leadership done God's way? Why is it upside? Why would you qualify that as upside down leadership? Well, it's almost always the exact opposite of what the world expects. That's right. <laughs> you know, when when Christ came and, um, you know, I mean, people had believed in gods up to that point, uh, but they never had a God who was willing to sacrifice mm. and didn't want anything in return. Gods, the Greek era, Roman era, were all about you give to the gods so you get something from the god. There was never a god that was about uh, genuine love and 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 sacrifice and all that kind of thing. So it's been upside down all the way through. I mean, you know, Jesus hired his his major guys who were going to be responsible for taking this message to the whole world without an interview. He yep. walked up and said, you're coming with me. I mean, you know, That's right. every time we turn around, it's upside down. And so and and I think we've got to think differently about leadership in the as Christians to get a different model. And and Jesus gives us lots of models of that. I've written about that. But but I also took it out a little bit into the sports arena because I think maybe people can maybe relate to it a little bit more. And I know you're a big sports leader and significant in baseball and football arenas and all, but I did this contrast between football and, yeah. and baseball. And it really was kind of fascinating. And um, because we've idealized these football coaches, you know, Nick Saban, how he does it is the right way. Yeah. And I've been to Nick Saban's training camp. It is remarkable. You should see the schedule on the big screens for those players and each player has their own schedule uh, they have a they have a training staff that's bigger than my entire football program mm. it's remarkable the level of detail and so we've gotten this idea from these football coaches that this ultra detailed planning is the only way that something can be operated efficiently and if you do then you're going to be successful so i've turned that around and said i encourage leaders in opportunity leadership to emulate baseball managers and it's completely different you know Football is about control. It's about preciseness. It's about um, time constraint. It's about synchronized teamwork. It's about predetermined plan. And it's about winning every single game. Baseball, on the other hand, rewards anticipation. It's about personal ingenuity. You've been a baseball player at top level. You know what that is. Every baseball, every 
member on the team does their thing differently. It's about flexibility. It's about interwoven purposes. And you can lose 30% of your games and still win the World Series. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think in, in leadership in Christian world, we've, we've gotten fearful that a loss is a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's not, it's not bad at all. That's right. Um, um, you know, so I think we need a different model. So when I talk about upside down, let's, let's get a different model. And if you can, if you can watch Jesus and emulate him, but if, if you, the baseball football thing works as well, but you know, here's one interesting thing. And, and, and I know you follow sports so carefully because you're deeply involved at, at high levels with it. But when the pressure's on in a game, a football game, the camera goes to the coach every single time. When the pressure's on in a baseball game, it goes to the pitcher or the batter. It goes to the person in the game. And I think as leaders, we've got to turn this thing upside down to also turn the spotlight around on the people who are really doing the work. Um, My frontline team, People are the ones who are doing the work. I don't teach anybody. I don't coach anybody. I don't read, you know, they're doing it. I got to empower them. Let's put the spotlight on them. And you don't, and it was a great analogy in there because a baseball, I mean, I'll leave, literally leave this call and I'm going to put on a uniform and head to a high school baseball game. Uh, And and there's going to be something that's going to happen in that game. You've got to respond to, you've Mm -hmm. got to change pitchers. They've got a lefty coming up. You got to get a lefty ready in the pen. You don't know when you're planning the game the day before that that lefty is going to be coming up with that situation. And so you're responding in the moment rather than prescriptively saying, here's exactly what we're doing. Here's every right. belt we're going to lay down. That was a, that was a great analogy. I yeah, never and you know, thought about and, that and before. And when you're in, when you're in that, uh, that uh, uh, dugout today, uh, coaching that team, you're going to be sitting there watching the whole thing. You're going to look pretty relaxed. You're going to look pretty uh, engaged with some of the players who are around where a football coach is laser focused yep. on that field. They got headsets on so nobody else can talk to them except though they allow to talk to them uh there's they're going up and down the sidelines i mean you know look at the leadership model differences it's remarkable but we especially christian leaders have gotten enamored with these football coaches as our model and i think the jesus model is much more like a baseball manager than it is a football coach it's really really and the great ones are playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers they're yeah. always, you brought that up. I mean, they're, it's the Mark Miller, you know, they're, they're a step ahead of you. They, yeah. they've done yep. something ahead that they've gotten back to, you know, you talk about, and I know you've got a, we've got a time constraint here that I could talk to you all day. You're, I'm the last person <laughs> no, you need to meet fun. with. Oh this my gosh. Fun. I've got so many questions for you. Um, you talked about six tendencies of, of opportunity leaders. And one of the things I want to talk about two of them. One is they embrace speed. And I love that. Why is embracing speed so necessary if you're going to be an upside down kingdom, an opportunity leader like Jesus would have you be? Why is it so important that you're willing to embrace speed? Because speed wins. Um, if, if, you know, think of it like the, the opportunities of life are like a river, not a lake. If you don't throw your bucket in that, that piece of water is gone. It's not going to be there later. And we have embraced this 
planning model that means we got to anticipate every contingency that could possibly come, everything that could go right, everything that could go bad, project it all out, and then we'll make a decision. Mm -hmm. And by then, it's too late. You missed the moment. And uh, I had one of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had an opportunity come to us to start a doctorate of business administration in China with Shengqin University, which is rated the number one university in China. They're, they're equal with Harvard. And they came to us, wanted to start this doctorate of business administration. One of the big issues was um, they wanted their students to take two classes at once. And our academic folks said they should take one class at once. It's the doctoral level. And Anybody else would have stopped at that point and said, we got to work this out first. And I said, no, let's sign the contract. Let's make the commitment. We'll figure it out. And within three weeks, we had it figured out. And mm -hmm. it worked out and it worked out the way we wanted. But if we hadn't embraced speed, they would have stopped at that point and said, these folks are hesitant. We're not going to do this. We're going to go to somebody else because they were looking at us from one of the other big flagship universities, really big flagship university. And the reason they went with us is because we can go fast. Now, speed wins. And whether that be at the moment of personal personal ministry. I mean, how many times do we see Jesus was headed one place That's right. and somebody called him someplace else? He didn't say, well, let me go there and finish that because I got this meeting planned and I'll come see you tomorrow. No, he just went and he changed direction immediately. And, uh, you know, speed wins, but we in the church have, you know, what I've defined as, as the DNA of a sloth and a sloth can't go fast. If you, if you snuck up on a sloth, he could not get out of the way yep. because the DNA is programmed. He cannot move fast. And the church has a DNA of slowness that's built on fear. We're scared to death right. of making a mistake is built on comfort. It may not be perfect what we got, but it's pretty comfortable. It's built on intimidation. We see, well, you know, we can't do that because the big guys do that or the other universities, the other churches, the other businesses do that. We can't do that. And it's based on assumptions. That's it's right. based on assumptions of where the limits are. You know, uh, COVID is a horrible thing. Absolutely horrible. So many levels. But the one thing COVID did is broke a lot of assumptions for That's us. That's right. Churches can have church without having a Sunday morning service and restaurants yep. can have served meals without people coming in and presidential inaugurations can happen without a crowd. So assumptions can be broken, but you got to deal with those three things, the fear, the comfort, the intimidation yep. and the assumptions in order to embrace speed. But when you do, again, you jump in, you get going and then it comes to the next chapter of that book which is flexing with implementation right. you gotta right. flex once it comes because it's not going to be perfect and i tell my team all the time when we start something new what we come out with is not going to be like this so don't let me get hold too tightly to it it's not going to look like this eventually things are going to change and that's okay but that's part of building that culture that accepts that and, and is comfortable with that the other one you hit i want to i want to wrap on this you said learn to love roadblocks Learn to love an opportunity leader learns to love roadblocks. Why do you believe that every leader, even when we're trying to do it Jesus way, we've got to just know roadblocks are just part of the journey. Why do they have to know that before they even get in on this mode of leadership? Yeah, you know, and the, the roadblocks do come and we feel like it's our responsibility when they hit the roadblocks to 
figure out a way through, under, or over in order to get through, because that's our job as leaders, yep. to go through the roadblock. What I'm saying is learn to love roadblocks. What's God saying in the roadblock? That's right. What's God teaching us because there's a roadblock all of a sudden? And so the challenge with roadblocks is that we can do three things when we have roadblocks. And, and this analogy comes from, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest when they used to cut down trees up in the forest and then they would lash them together in the river and they float them down the river. And I don't think they do that as much anymore, but they used to then. And those, those logs, hundreds of logs would sometimes jam up on something and they'd get, then another group would come and jam up on top of that. And sometimes they could get, hundreds or thousands of logs jammed up. Now, when you've got a log jam, you got three options. One is you can go out there with a big, huge iron bar and try and pry it loose. And a really good um, uh, lumberman can do that, but you can also break a leg because you can stick a leg down between those logs mm -hmm. and you're, you're disabled for life. And so you better know what you're doing if you're going to try and pry loose a log jam. The second is you can go out there and blow it up. And they do, used to do that sometimes. They go out there and put dynamite in it and blow it up. But when you blow it up, you don't know what's going to happen. And the third is you can let it rub against each other and wait until that road log jam clears itself. Well, in the Christian world and in leadership, we've gotten where we see a log jam, we feel like we got to go out there with the bar and we get injured in the process of doing it. Uh, and once the quarterback gets injured, everybody's in trouble. Yep. So you don't want to do that. Secondly, you can blow it up and you don't know what's going to happen. And we see a lot of mess in the church for that. Mm. But too often, we don't just wait until it rubs together long enough. Mm. What mm. I found through my experience is if I wait, it almost always works out. Now, sometimes I got to go in and do something. But my core question on roadblocks is what is God trying to say? And God is speaking to us through roadblocks. And so when we hit a roadblock, our initial reaction as a leader is, I got to fix it, and I got to fix it fast, or they won't think I'm a leader. No, just explain it. Tell people, this is what's going on, and we're going to let this sit. We're going to let this wait. We're going to work this through, whatever. And it's amazing how those things can work out over time. But, but it's a different mindset, and it's, uh, it's a little scary. But again, when, when people can see opportunity leadership works, they will trust it mm -hmm. in those moments when there's a lot of uncertainty. When the day comes that your leadership days are over, your, your, even your life journey has come to an end and, and we're standing before the Lord and we give an account of the gifts and abilities and how we've used them. What do you hope he says to you about how you have led in the position and the places that he's given you to lead. What do you hope you hear from his lips one day? I hope I hear you did much more because you stayed humble. And I think there's a humility demanded of leadership that we've gotten away from and we've let our egos take over. And I want to watch that one every single day. You know, when other university presidents get appointed, I always tell them when they put that chain around your neck of the university and put the seal there around your neck, that's not to remind you that you're the founder of all wisdom and knowledge and best decisions. That's to remind you, you got to make payroll to pay for other people do the job because you're right. dependent on them. <laughs> and, you know, so often in leadership, we want it about us. It, it's not about us. It's about them. How do we lift them up? 
How do we help them get fulfilled in what they do? And then when we do, there's such joy in leadership. So that's what I hope the Lord would say, that you've tried to lift up other people. You've tried to get out of the way with your ego and let others let their others thrive. I hope that's what he would say. Um, but we'll find out one day. You always know something marks you when you can't stop talking about it. Opportunity leadership really put words to something that I've always felt, but I really didn't know how to say. And I probably have caused frustration for a lot of staff and a lot of leaders through the years by saying, well, Mike, what, what do you mean? And I, and I want to say it the way he said it, but good night. He just said it so well. And as I read the book, I thought I 100% agree. You know, you have to plan and you have to do all of those things. But sometimes I think it's very easy to plan the Lord's hand out of it, where Dr. Parrott really gives us some some guardrails and he gives us some tools and he gives us some handles for getting in on what God is doing, but yet doing it with planning and precision. Opportunity leadership is one of the best books I've put my hands on in quite a while. And I am so thankful I got to connect with Dr. Parrott. I promise you it will not be the last time in any new work he comes out with. I want to be first in line to get it and add it to the uh, toolbox at North Star and into my own personal toolbox as a leader. Boy, thank you, Dr. Parrott, for joining me. What a humble, kind, incredibly thoughtful man. And uh, I am better for meeting him. That is for sure. Well, our next episode, we get down, sit down with another guest who will be back on uh, for a multiple time, Miss Shannon Bream from Fox News. Shannon has a brand new book out called uh, The Moms and Daughters of the Bible. And I think you are really going to love this new work by Shannon as she delves back into scripture and she talks about all these moms and daughters that are there in scripture and golly, just brings out some thoughts that you've never heard before. And, you know, as you open God's word, it's always fresh and it's always new. And she has done such a great job with mothers and daughters of the Bible speak. Golly, you're going to enjoy this. So thanks again for joining today. If you enjoy this episode, go leave a uh, rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're watching and listening to, and it sure helps other people find their way to us. Until then, go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place he's put you. Thanks again for joining today. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.